Welcome to our podcast series, Getting to the Core Issues. Hello, I'm Joanne Bolotta. And I'm Marianne Harmston. Each segment, we will interview healthcare innovators whose models will help transform the healthcare delivery system and provide solutions to the healthcare puzzle. Today's guest is Kevin J. Roberts, author and director of Empower ADD Project. Good morning, Kevin, and welcome to our show. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're good. great. Very good. Very happy to be here. I love what you're doing, and I hope I can shed some light and help people who are listening get to the core issues that surround the condition we know as ADHD. Kevin, can you give us a brief overview of your background and credentials and talk about some of your accomplishments? I was a teacher for uh, four years, and I'm also a certified translator for multiple languages, and I did that for a while. But for the past 20 years, I have been coaching ADHD young people and young adults. Right now, I've got somebody in medical school, somebody working on his PhD in psychology and even a firefighter. So I'm very plugged into helping ADHD people succeed. And the books that I've written on that topic are all designed for that purpose in mind. Before I get into my recent book, I have a very unusual set of credentials. And my master's degree is in something called ADHD studies, which Dr. Arthur Robin and I of Wayne State University Medical School, we worked together to come up with an individualized master's degree that I did through Antioch University. I studied exclusively ADHD. HD and did hospital rotations and was involved in confabs with psychiatric fellows, all sorts of great stuff. Um, so that's not only my professional focus, but also my academic one. My most recent book, Schindler's Gift, How One Man Harnessed ADHD to Change the World, is really an outgrowth of what I do to help people uh, every day. And that's I help people find their gifts and find the support and the sense of purpose that they need to drive those gifts into a life of success. And I use the example in that book of Oscar Schindler, how he succeeded in life and how he failed. Because we need to learn both sides. We can't just focus on ADHD people are wonderful. It's a gift, you know. Well, that's great. But we have to talk about both sides because there are so many pitfalls to success when somebody has ADHD. Kevin, and looking at the work that you've done and the way you, you're describing, especially uh, certainly a master's degree specific to ADHD, we recognize that there's so many different elements of it. So maybe you could expand a little on what definition you highlight as ADHD and maybe some of the variations of it? The core struggles with ADHD revolve around what are now known as the executive function deficit. It is a deficit in the ability to plan, the ability to organize, to engage in time management, to regulate emotions. ADHD is a condition that is wired in the brain. When you look at a brain of an ADHD person, there are fundamental differences to the brain of a person who is not ADHD. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is ADHD is something that we can relate back to differences in the brain. And those differences also relate back to genetic variations. So we know that there are gene variants that 
are somewhat predictive of a person having ADHD. What areas of the brain are we able to see this in? I want to take one small brain region. It would be in the front of the brain, and it's called the caudate nucleus. And there's one on each side. There's one left and one right. That is a brain region that, apart from any research into ADHD, is known to play a significant role in our ability to control impulses. So, for example, a person with no history of impulsivity, impulsive behavior, you know, making decisions without doing things without considering the consequences. A person without a history of impulsivity who sustains a brain injury, a head injury that damages the caudate nucleus, strong probability that person will become impulsive. The evidence about the role of the caudate nucleus in our ability to control impulses is very strong. So we add to that evidence with ADHD. Boys with ADHD are much more likely, if we look in their brain, to have asymmetry. So the right caudate nucleus looks different than the left caudate nucleus. There are different shapes. And whenever something like that happens in the brain, when there are these parallel structures that are supposed to be identical and they're not identical, that points to some underlying atypical functioning. Atypical structure and atypical structure generally can lead to atypical functioning. Someone's listening to this uh, podcast and they have a child who they don't understand who's been, perhaps the pediatrician says, well, they're a little hyperactive. You know, they use that term. What would you suggest the type of testing that a child like that should have? A neuropsychological evaluation. Now, there are a lot of psychologists who are not neuropsychologists who can perform these tests, Mm -hmm. but definitely a full workup. If we think we're dealing with ADHD, there's a lot of other conditions that can be involved. And so we have to make sure we're dealing with the right thing. For example, there are a lot of people who actually have bipolar disorder who were first diagnosed with ADHD. There are children who have sleep issues, and that's the reason they're not functioning well, but originally they were thought to have ADHD. There are children who have anxiety, and it turns out that their real problem wasn't ADHD. It was just anxiety because it turns out when you're anxious you have a hard time paying attention. You have a hard time doing a lot of the executive functions that you need to do for your life. So it's important that we don't just say, oh, this person's hyperactive. Oh, he's got ADHD. We, we, we need a full workup. What does that include? Is it uh, taking scans of the brain? We can't diagnose ADHD from brain scans. There are these clinics around the country that claim you know, you got to give them like 10 grand and they claim that they can um, diagnose ADHD and tell you what medications to use. What can be helpful is genetic testing because there are certain genetic variations that some of us have that make one particular medication more conducive than others. But that starts to get really expensive if you're going to that route. But I would just, you know, psychometric testing. I mean, there are very well used and reliable testing methods that most psychologists can give, those who do testing, that will help us diagnose this. Kevin, do you remember when Ritalin was the most offered prescription? Is that something they're still using today? Ritalin is the brand name of something called methylphenidate. It's still used. It's uh, There's another long-acting one, uh, Concerta. There's a medication called Focalin. There's Adderall. There's one called Vivance. There's another one called Stratera, which works on the norepinephrine system of the brain versus the dopamine. There's lots of different medications now. Most of the ones that work well and you mentioned hyperactive, especially for the hyperactive people like me, I'm really hyperactive. Those are going to be the stim 
stimulants, the stimulants like the Ritalin, things of this nature. And by the way, when you speak of stimulants, Winston Churchill took Benzedrine and he, there are notes about him in his journal. And he writes about this new medication. And he's like, strangely, I can focus without any problem. There's some evidence that he had some ADHD symptomology too. Kevin, does this testing regularly occur in an evaluation or a pediatric exam for children and adolescents? I don't know what the frequency is, but it certainly is relatively common. It's all about screening. I mean, you know, we screen for diabetes and we screen for, you know, a variety of conditions. And, and it's just simply, you know, if you have a child that has some symptoms that point in one direction or they have some troubling psychological symptoms, getting a screening for it is really, can be really beneficial, really helpful. Years ago, they used to talk about the impact of sugar. Do you find that diet tremendously impacts a child that has some of these challenges? When we're dealing with ADHD, we're dealing with a condition that results, the behavioral manifestations result from some stuff going on in the brain. The food we eat, we know affects the way that our brain works. So it affects everybody. We know that we all need protein at every meal. And we know that complex carbohydrates are better for us and metabolize in a more efficient way by the body than simple carbohydrates like refined sugars. I have found some ADHD folks who are even more sensitive to these features of our food intake. But I think all of us need to have a brain smart diet. You know, we all need to make sure we're getting omega fatty acids. We need to make sure we're getting high quality sources of protein, minimizing our intake of refined sugar. My brother, Dan, and he doesn't have ADHD. He has a different condition. It's called weighty HD. That's a little joke. I'm not, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. No, he has, he's very, very ADHD and he's a sugar holic. There is a group of ADHD and part of that I think is impulse control. He likes what he likes, what he likes, and he's going to have what he likes and, and boy, he's going to have plenty of it. And I had him over here recovering from knee surgery a while back and I bought him a bunch of yogurt you know those Dan and yogurts with the fruit at the bottom the big one well most yes. people eat them with the spoon Dan shakes them up and then inhales them Homer Simpson style when he does that he's kind of all over the place you know he's real squirrely so I've seen it in my own brother the effect of a lot of refined sugar so I think that all of us need to work towards having a, a brain smart diet a brain health diet certainly because ADHD people we have brains that function atypically we need those kind of diets even more. That being said, if you have a parent of a 14-year-old ADHD hyperactive boy, have fun with trying to regulate the diet. When you have a child with ADHD, which battles are you going to fight? Are you going to fight the homework battle? Are you going to fight the food battle? Are you going to fight the brush your teeth every day battle? Part of the problem when you're a parent of a child that has a condition like this, I hate to say it, but you end up having to fight all these battles. And it's real easy for parents from the outside who don't have a child with with extra needs than, than a typical child has. It's real easy for people from the outside to judge. You're letting him have, a, have refined sugar after eight o'clock at night? My children never have candy after th that time, you know? And they don't understand that you just can't fight every battle because if you do, your house is a war zone. Mm -hmm. And then you're damaging your relationship with your child. So, so I, know, I know years ago they used to talk about the risk reward. So there was a lot of, um, I had a lot of training myself in um, utilizing the risk reward because going one-on-one -on -one in terms of, having them do something that they don't want to do would be a kind they would outlast me every time she would outlast me every time right so, so you so i was trained in 
a, a, a reinforcement method. Um, back in the days when, you know, there was the Spitz Clinic in Media, Pennsylvania. There was Dr. Arnold Gold at Columbia Presbyterian. I remember. Yeah. So, um, you know, but even then, they were, they were just, and I, I sense, I don't know how you feel about this, Kevin, but I sense that the outgrowth of the food industry and the, um, the enhancement of so much sugar into the food chain into from the 1950s forward was had a direct impact may not be the only reason but had a direct impact on these children and the challenges that they faced even into adulthood because it, I think it occurs in utero because they're born this way so um, it's interesting and do you do you feel that the, the food chain has a big effect on this well there in in so I think it's around seven percent of kids who are diagnosed ADHD. There seems to be a a strong uh, food component, um, and I think our the quality of our food has gone way way down. I I, I really believe that. Um, I had a young lady that I worked with, very smart, and she used to come to my study groups, and. Um, you know, in my gut, I always felt, boy, boy, she's, she's just not quite, I don't quite get the ADHD with her, you know, and I, I mean, that's pretty much all I do. You know, I'm not like a, you know, a doctor who sees like, you know, 95% non-ADHD people. I'm like 100%. So I was working with her and I thought, you know, I told her mother, I'm like, you know, Kathy, I just think something's up with this. So anyway, we talked and um, we, I have another friend who's an integrated, inter, integrative psychiatrist. And I said, let's go to her. And I went to, and we all went and I said, let's just talk things over. And we talked a lot of stuff uh, over and this integrative psychiatrist said, you know, I think, she, I think she's got a gluten problem. Now I don't want to get on the gluten bandwagon because everybody thinks they're going gluten free yeah. and it's, and it's not so. Okay. But in yeah. some cases, it's true so I you know in my first thought when this psychiatrist said I was like what you're come on what kind of hocus pocus is this so we did a they did a test and she had this girl had a severe gluten sensitivity and when they got her off gluten the ADHD symptomology that she had improved markedly and she ended up not really needing my services because of that because she was um. So, but, but I think that there's definitely, that happens in less than 10% of the cases. And the problem is if we give too much energy to that food connection, we're, we, we can be giving people false hope because in all, it's a, it's a small percentage. I've seen a few of those cases uh, in my life, but I've also, you know, of course, what do you think happened after that with that girl? I became a crusader. Oh, you've got to take your kid to this integrative psychiatrist. Well, most of the kids I sent, they didn't, you know, they didn't get the great benefit. Um, but an integrative psychiatrist is wonderful when you have a tricky case. And I'm, I'm lucky to have some of those people on my life. But you, we got to be, you know, part of the problem with our country and with the Western world is that we all want a panacea. We all want a quick fix. We all want to drink something or take something or eliminate something that's going to radically transform our lives. And it's kind of, it, it, to some extent, it can be mad. We get engaged in magical thinking. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we got to be really careful because, you know, there are a lot of parents out there, uh, Marianne, who 
have tried everything. You know, when you have a child with it, like my mother, my mother, uh, you know, my brother Dan is 61. So when he started having problems in, in you know, the late childhood years, you know, 10, 11, um, she didn't know what to do. So she took him to Chicago and she took him to, I think she went to Dr. Gold as a matter of fact, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. She went to uh, the Cleveland Clinic. I mean, she had him everywhere and um, nobody could really help her. And then finally, the, the only thing that helped finally was Ritalin. And that made a big difference. He stopped having temper tantrums. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a house. My mother is a very loving person. And I grew up in a house with this, with this boy who was 12 years older than me who would break stuff. My brother, he would regularly break stuff. When he, start, when he started Ritalin, he stopped breaking stuff. How's that for a, how's that for a technical diagnosis? Well, what's in <laughs> it? He breaks stuff. <laughs> so you know, you talked about the upside of um, ADHD. Talk a little bit of more, like expand upon that. And then also, can you tell us what the downside of ADHD is? Well, let's take my brother, okay? My brother is like Oscar Schindler. He doesn't like, he does not do well in ordinary, mundane, repetitive reality does not do well and he's got to find a way to spice things up that's part of the reason he, he he loves breaking glass by the way i don't know that's one of his pensions but if you have a roof in your leak and it's 3 a.m and water's coming into your house and you call my brother he will come right over because he loves a crisis if you're if my brother is driving to my house at 12 in the afternoon and he's coming up Telegraph Road, a main thoroughfare, and sees somebody pulled over on the side of the road, a mother with two children who, and the car's broken down, he will stop. And if that woman happens to be on the way to the hospital to see her aunt who's dying, he'll take the woman to the hospital to see her dying aunt and then sort out her car for her. Uh, when I had water coming into my uh, house because there was a, we found out later there was a hole in the wall, I called my brother Dan uh, in the foundation, and he came over two hours later with a crew of three friends of his, and they dug a four to five foot trench in front of my house to discover the problem and fix it. It would have cost me like 12 grand. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. My brother loves intensity. He doesn't function well in repetitive routine reality, but intensity he absolutely loves. And that's how Oscar, and my brother functions well in under intensity. That's how Oscar Schindler was. Oscar Schindler failed school. He, he quit or was fired from every job he ever had because he never had a purpose. He never had a purpose married with intensity. Sure. You know, like my brother, Oscar Schindler, did a lot of stupid things. He was a race car driver. He was a motorcycle racer professionally, almost killed himself doing that. But when Oscar Schindler, during World War II, found something that was purposeful, found a mission, saving human lives, it was as if his brain w caught on fire, as if he had awoken from a long slumber into a life that he was meant to live. Um, he had support, he had a sense of mission, and he also had daily adventure and daily intensity. See, part of the reason my brother Dan gets into trouble is because if he doesn't have daily adventure and daily intensity, he creates negative intensity. 
does your how does your brother feel about the fact that you 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 appear to be able to openly discuss his situation? Oh, he, he would love it. Okay. My brother listens to my my brother has no. It, well, I mean, much to the chagrin of many in the family, he has no inhibitions. He okay. does. There's no. I mean, if he's uh, he if he listens to this, if he's listening right now, he's going to be like, "Yep, he's absolutely right." Tell him about the time I uh, I ruptured the gas line coming into your house. Are you Are you going to tell him about the time I I saved you four thousand dollars by using my truck to uh, pull out your juniper bushes, but then ran over your backpack. Uh, <laughs> Backpack blower in your yard because I was driving your truck through my truck through your yard. You know, he's very, my brother's very open, you know, and I mean, he's a great guy who has helped lots and lots of people. Um, right. Yeah. So, is he? Yeah, able I, to, I believe me, I've asked him. He's like, oh, I think it's great. You know, I love listening <laughs> to you talk about me. Is, is, is he able to stay employed at this point in his life? Um, he is. Um, he has had a lot of physical injuries. So one of the problems with being an Oscar Schindler or my brother, Dan, is that these are people who don't tend to take care of their bodies. So he's got knee trouble and he's got wrist pain. And so, no, he's, he's collecting some disability. Um, but, you know, he can't sit still. So even though he's got all these disabilities, he still goes out and collects scrap metal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he goes out, you know, garbage night, goes to people's trash, picks out scrap metal, mm -hmm. takes it back. He comes up, came over to my house for Thanksgiving. He went in my garage. He's like, yeah, you know, you got a bunch of aluminum in there. I'm like, all right, take it, you know. Um, but he's always, and so he, but see, that's, for my brother Dan, that's also a sense of purpose because he feels like he's recycling. Absolutely. You know, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and he'll, like, he'll drive, you know, if somebody calls him, because, you know, people know he collects scrap, he'll drive, like, an hour to get a piece of scrap that he, that he knows will just end up in the trash, even though the trip is not worth it for the amount of money he's going to get because he's got a sense of mission. Mm -hmm. right. Well, I think that sense of mission and purpose is really a part of the whole solution. How do people access your program and are there other people doing what you do? Because I'm sure once parents start to hear this podcast, they're going to want help for their, their child. I'm going to risk sounding very immodest. I am my own category. Nobody does exactly what I do. And what I do is I work one-on-one -on -one and in groups with young people, young adults. I can do that on Skype. I can do that on phone. If you're a parent out there and you want some support, in your area, I would certainly entertain an email from you. I'm very focused on school and I'm very focused on parent coaching. If people want to get a hold of me, they can send me an email to cyberjunkie512 at gmail.com. That's one of the emails I use, and it's the title of my first book, Cyber C Y B E R J U N like Nancy K I E Cyber Junkie 512 at gmail.com. And then go to my website, kevinjroberts.net. Don't forget the J, kevinjroberts.net. And not .com, it's .net.
kevinjroberts.net. And you can access my books on there. And there's, I got a lot of blogs and different things and I'm happy to help in any way I can. And if you want, if people want the, uh, the books, they're all available on Amazon. You've been a wonderful guest and, and this has been so helpful for me and I'm sure for you too, Marianne. Absolutely. With clarity, with steps, with perhaps a bridge, you can create a bridge, Kevin. If we build on what you're doing and we can expand that, maybe we can start to change some of the way education has been approaching these children all along. It's a national epidemic. It's a worldwide epidemic. Thank you very much, Kevin. Visit our website at edstreetkey.com. Don't forget to share our podcast with your family and friends. Thank you for listening to Getting to the Core Issues, where we bring you solutions for solving the healthcare puzzle.